How many of you know there's a war going on in the Middle East? Uh, have you been following any of it? Um, it's kind of hard to find a place to follow that's not biased or prejudiced or slanted or just outright lying. And uh, so I don't watch a whole lot of uh, news accounts of what's going on unless it's on you know, someone, someone's channel that I have a little bit of confidence in, you know, like the, uh, the Victory Channel, uh, you know, Kenneth Copeland's news channel. I have confidence in them, and, and I like I like their faith approach to the news. You know, you can hear bad news anywhere, but to hear hear the news with a faith approach, in a way that doesn't get you into the mully grubs and get you into a doubt and fear and unbelief and gloom and doom and despair. It's good. That's that's a good news program to watch, but you know CBS, MC, MCBCNS, ABCDFG. Those those channels don't listen to them. Fox, beware of the little foxes, because they'll spoil the vine. Amen. And uh, I I happen to agree with our illustrious former president. Uh, they are they are uh, fake news. They're bought out, owned, and lock, stock, and barrel by just a few corporations that are not our friends. So you can't trust what they say. The newspapers. Does anybody ever read anybody read newspapers anymore? Nobody reads newspapers. You know. The only thing the newspaper was good for was lying in the bottom of the birdcage. Uh, but I had an aunt, my dear Aunt Annie, Aunt Olive. She said something that was in the newspaper, and I said, I said, Aunt Annie, you don't believe that, do you? She says, well, if it wasn't true, they wouldn't let them put it in the paper. I said, who are they? She didn't know. It's like there's some news god out there that monitors the news and won't let him print lies. But how many of you know that's not true? That doesn't exist. Can you turn my volume up a little bit? I'd like to hear me. Say, Pastor, why do you want to hear yourself? Because I don't work as hard that way. Amen? That's better. Thank you. And I appreciate Ruth for wearing a couple of hats today that uh, she's not used to wearing. Amen? Turn with me to Genesis 15. I want to talk to you about David and Goliath. The saga continues. David, King David in the Bible, represented Israel in the best possible way. He represented the God of Israel in the best possible way. King David is one of my heroes and should be one of yours. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the man that God anointed and uh, to be king over Israel that turned Israel into a mega power. And under King David, a lot of good was done in the, and the kingdom of Israel was established. Goliath represents the Philistines. The Philistines were the bad guys. Amen? Amen? 
The Philistines were the bad guys. Goliath was the champion of the bad guys. And David was the champion of the good guys. The bad guys were the Philistines. And the good guys were the Israelites. What made them bad? Well, they were bad because they uh, opposed God's chosen. What made the Israelites good? Because they were God's chosen. God's the one who decided who the bad guys and who the good guys were. And do you know it's always been that way? It's always going to be that way. When Jesus was talking about the end coming and the judgment coming, He said all of the nations of the world will be divided into two groups. He said you will have on the right hand of, uh, of, ju of the judgment, you will have the sheep nations. And on the left hand of the judgment, you will have the goat nations. What makes a sheep nation a sheep nation? What makes a goat nation a goat nation? How they treat God and God's people. It could be a wonderful nation. It could be a powerful nation. It could be a rich, prosperous nation. But if they persecute God's people, they're a goat nation. It could be a poor nation. It could be a backward nation. It could be a third, fourth world nation. But if they bless God's people, God will bless them. And they'll be a sheep nation. And so that's at the end of time when God judges the nations. So from the beginning of time to the end of time, God is the one who determines whether it's a bad nation or a good nation, a bad man or a good man. Can you say amen to that? Okay, so let's see what God had to say about uh, Israel. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 15, the book of beginnings. Genesis uh, chapter 15 is when God and Abraham make a covenant. We've read this story before, so I'm not going to take the time to uh, read the, all the verses here, but you know that God instructed Abraham to uh, uh, take some sacrificial animals and split them in half and dig a trench between the two halves of these animals. And all the blood from the, uh, the sacrificial animals would flow down into this trench until the trench became like a river of blood with the carcasses of all these sacrificed animals on either side. And then when the, when the sun went down, it got really dark. And the Bible says it was a horrendous darkness. And then a pillar of fire came from heaven and traveled down that trench and consumed all the blood that was in that trench and even the carcasses of the animals that were on the sides of the trench. It was all burnt up by this pillar of, cloud, pillar of fire that came down from heaven. And then God spoke to Abram in verse 17 and said, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Everybody say land. He's not speaking figuratively here. He's speaking literally of the land. And in case anybody wonders, what land God was deeding to Abram and his descendants, he signifies what land it is. From the river Egypt, that's the Nile River, from the river of Egypt to the great river, 
the river Euphrates. Now, if you look at a map, you'll find out that that's half of Egypt, all of Palestine, all of the Arabian Peninsula, all the way into half of Iraq. Because the, the Mesopotamian uh, River, the Euphrates River, splits what we call Iraq today. And he said it's the land of the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, everybody say Canaanites, Canaanites. the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So anybody who was an ite, and then a few others, the Rephaim uh, thrown in, they were, they, were, uh, they were the inhabitants of this land while God is giving it away to Abram. Abraham, Abram and his descendants were not the first occupants of the land. So when it comes to God, first come is not always first serve. Just because you were there first don't mean you have legal claim to it. This is important because what's going on right now is, is people claiming rights to the land. And here we find out that the God who made the land, the Creator God, God Almighty, deeded the land to his friend Abram and promised Abram that the land, that land from the Nile River to the, to the Euphrates River would belong to Abram and his descendants. Israel only occupies one small sliver of that land. So there's more to come. There's more of their inheritance yet coming to them. And uh, we can argue about it. We can say, well, you know, so-and-so, they, you know, these Gergesites and these these uh, Hittites and these Rephaims and these Kenazites, they deserve some special consideration because they inhabited that land before Abram. No, you can't say that because God gave the deed to Abram. And there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that God ever rescinded that. Well, what about the Philistines? What about... Goliath and that nation of bad people that he represented. Well, don't they have some right? You know, the Philistines are the ancestors of the Palestinians. Matter of fact, it used to be called Philistia after the Philistines until about 1930, somewhere in there, it got, cha it got changed to uh, 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 Palestine, Palestine and they got, instead of called being called the Philistines, they, they, were, they were called the Palestinians. And the Israelites, of course, they're the Israelites. They're the descendants of Israel. They're, they're the ones that God has regathered from the four corners of the world and brought back to that country. And they are claiming their Abrahamic inheritance. And the Philistines are still there. And so the saga continues. The Philistines and the Israelites fighting over the same land. 
But I got, I got this uh, explanation from the World History Encyclopedia. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read it to you so I don't get it wrong. All right? The Philistines and foreign conquerors. That's what it's called. The Philistines, thought to be from Crete and most likely from the Aegean Sea, landed on the southern Mediterranean coast of Cana in 1276 B.C. So they're not even from there. Everybody say they're not from there. They're not from there. <laughs> okay. Now, to hear them talk, they, they, they were there when the dirt was planted. But no, they came in 1276 B.C. after being repulsed from an invasion of Egypt. They first tried to go to Egypt, but the Egyptians kicked them out. Uh, and that was by Ramesses III. You've heard of Ramesses. Uh, the Egyptian pharaoh, Ramesses III, is the one who repulsed their invasion of Egypt. And by 1185 B.C., they had established themselves firmly in settlements along the coast known as Philistia. Other, older settlements were already thriving in the area upon their arrival. They weren't the first. And the Philistines went quickly to work to subdue the people that were there before them. According to biblical narratives, the Philistines were organized and efficient enough to cause the early Israelite tribes and cities a great deal of trouble. They posed a significant threat to the Israelite, King Saul. They were defeated by his successor, King David, in 970 B.C., and were still enemies of Israel under King Solomon, but in spite of Israelite victories over them, they continued to thrive along the coast and harass their neighbors. Some people just never change. In 722 BC, the region was overrun by the Assyrians and the kingdom of Israel was destroyed. That was the northern kingdom. At this same time, the Philistines were subdued completely and lost their autonomy. When the Assyrians came in and took the northern kingdom of Israel, they also conquered the Philistines. The Neo-Assyrian Empire claimed Palestine and their king, Sennacherib, you've heard of Sennacherib. Remember Sennacherib? He's the Assyrian king that came down and threatened Jerusalem. And God sent him back home and when he got home, his sons killed him. I love the story of Sennacherib. Because it talks about an intimidating, threatening spirit being overcome by God. Well, in 705 BC, Sennacherib launched a campaign in the region. And although he failed to take Jerusalem, he succeeded in making Judah a vassal state. The Assyrians held the region until the fall of their empire in 612 BC to a coalition led by Babylonians and Medes. And shortly after, the Babylonians invaded Palestine in 598 and sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the Temple of Solomon, and took the leading citizens, Daniel was one of them, among the Israelites back to Babylon for a period in Jewish history known as the Babylonian Captivity. They returned between 589 and 582 B.C. 
and destroyed the rest of Judah, scattering the Philistines at the same time. Babylon fell to Cyrus the Great in 530 BC, who absorbed the region into his empire and allowed the Jews to return from Babylon to their homeland. That was Nehemiah's day. Amen? The Persian Empire fell to Alexander the Great in 356 BC, and after him, the Seleucids, or the Greeks, controlled the region until 168 BC when the Maccabees revolted against foreign rule and the imposition of foreign nations and religions and established the Hasmonean dynasty, which was the last independent Judean kingdom. Rome involved itself in the region's affairs in 63 BC, and after Augustus became emperor, Palestine became a province known as Roman Judea in 31 BC. And we know who was born 30 years later. Jesus. Then we have what's known as the Jewish-Roman Wars. The Romans installed a king of their choice, Herod the Great, to rule the region and impose the same tax levies on Judea as they did other provinces in the empire. The people resented Roman rule and occupation. However, Judea proved a, a, an especially problematic region for Rome. The year 66 to, to 73, this is after Jesus ascended into heaven, year 66 through 73, saw the first Jewish-Roman war which resulted in Titus, General Titus, destroying Jerusalem, including the second temple, leaving only the western wall and leading to the martyrdom of the defenders of Masada. That was this hilltop fortress where all the uh, remaining Pharisees had fled to the top of this mountain. Well, they were eventually conquered and slaughtered. Although the people, well, they they weren't slaughtered, they committed suicide rather than to be caught. Although the people of the land were free within reason to adhere to their own cultures and religious beliefs, They were still under Roman rule and wanted their independence. In 115 AD, the conflict known as the Quito's War, they had a Quito War, you've heard of the Quito Diet, okay, I guess this is where that started, The the Quito War broke out so named from a corruption of the same, uh, oh, it's, the, it's named from the corruption of the name of the Roman general, Lucius Quietus, who commanded the Roman legions. This conflict also ended in a Roman victory and a relative peace was restored. In 132 AD, however, the Bar Cachoba revolt broke out and proved the most costly to both sides. Although the Judeans suffered the worst casualties with over 500,000 killed, not counting many others. The emperor Hadrian was so enraged by Jewish resistance that he renamed the province Syria-Palestinia after the two traditional enemies of the Jews, the Syrians and the Philistines, and banished all Jews from the region. They were banished from the region for a thousand years. 
He built his city, Alia Capitolina, on the ruins of Jerusalem. The Bar Kochoba revolt was the last of the Jewish Roman wars, and afterwards Rome held the region without further serious incident because they got rid of all the revolters. Now, who did God deed this land to? To Abraham and his descendants. So even though the Romans were controlling it, it was not rightfully theirs. The emperor Diocletian in 284 AD divided the Roman Empire in two. The Western Empire, which controlled Europe, and the Eastern Empire, later known as the Byzantine Empire, which administered the affairs in the Near East and, of course, held Syria, Palestinia. And when the Emperor Constantine the Great in 306 legitimized Christianity and made it into the state religion, Syria, Palestinia became a Christian province and an important center for the new faith. His wife, Helena Constantine, actually visited Israel in 305, spent several months there, located the cave Jesus was born in out on the outskirts of Bethlehem, and Constantine built a temple uh, on the hillside overlooking that cave. You see, there were caves there that were hollowed out into the side of the cliff, and inside those caves they would hollow out little uh, indentations that they used for troughs. And so the, uh, the, uh, the manger where Jesus was laid was actually a stone trough that was hollowed out of the walls of that cave. And you can go there now and see it. it it's still there because it was carved out of stone. If it had been carved out of wood and, built and put in a wooden shack, it would be gone long ago. But it's still there, and there's and there's a, a cathedral built right on top of the hill, overlooking it. So, uh, when the emperor Constantine the Great legitimized Christianity, uh, then that whole area became open for Christianity. The Western Roman Empire fell in 476, but the Byzantine Empire continued on until the seventh century, and the rise of Islam in the region in 634. A.D., the Muslim armies from Arabia took Syria, Palestina, and renamed it Philistin, F-I-L-A-S-T-I-N, which means Palestine. The Muslims felt they had as much of a religious stake in the region as the Christians, or as the Jews before them, and churches were turned into mosques in the same way that earlier temples had been given way to churches. Everywhere the Muslims went, they took Christian cathedrals and temples and churches and turned them in the mosque. You see that all over, uh, you know, Constantinople became Istanbul. And all the churches, you know, uh, were converted to mosques. And they would do that in this country if they were allowed to. Matter of fact, they are doing it in this country. The Byzantine Empire fell in 1453, which greatly reduced Christian influence in the region, and Palestine was held by the Ottoman Turks. The region continued to be contested throughout the next few centuries 
until the British involved themselves in 1915 during World War I, at which time the Western powers first devised plans to partition the Middle East for their own purposes and benefits. After World War I, the winners of the war, which was us and the British, divided up the Middle East and changed the political boundaries without consulting the people who lived there. But they were victors. And to the victor goes the spoil, right? Did, did the, the winners of World War I have the right to do that? Yes, they did. Because they were the winners. People who lose the war don't get to decide nothing. Right? It's always been that way. If you fight a war and you win, then you get to determine what happens to that land. And that's what happened. And they don't like it. They're still mad about it. They still kick up about it. They still commit terrible acts of uh, vicious violence over it. But the fact is, if they hadn't won that war, we would have been divided up however they wanted to divide us up. It's just the way, you know, it's just the way victory and defeat works. You understand that? So if they say today that we have no right to divide that land up like it was divided up, uh, they're wrong because uh, we won the war and they lost it. And they're just lucky we let them live. Think about it. There's no, there's no moral right and wrong in that. It's just that that's the way it works. The winner wins and the winner rules and the loser loses and the loser doesn't rule. Duh. Everybody say duh. duh. Palestine continued to be a war-torn and much contested region up through World War II. When, after the war was over and we won again, the United Nations declared the area the state of Israel and established it as a homeland for the Jewish people. This mandate by the United Nations and the resulting country of Israel remains controversial and the region continues to be as troubled in the present day as it was in ancient times. However, contested it might be, however, there may be people who disagree with it, we won World War II, and by we I'm talking about the, the Allied powers, which, uh, which were uh, England, France, the United States, and all the countries that joined with us. And the, those are the ones that formed the initial United Nations. And, and one of the first things the United Nations did, because of the way they were treated by the people who lost the war, who lost the war? The Axis. the Axis power. Who were the Axis powers? Germany, Germany Italy. Italy, Japan, all the countries of Northern Africa, including Egypt, and all the Arab countries, including the whole Ottoman Empire, the Muslims. They lost the war. They lost. And so, as a result of their horrendous treatment of the Jews, the United Nations awarded their homeland back to them and allowed for them to go back and form their own state 
in the land that God had deeded to them through Abraham. Now, turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. Now, I, I, I read that to you and I got it out of, the, you know, I got it out of that encyclopedia. And it had all kinds of uh, footnotes and references showing where they got their information. So I'm assuming it's pretty, pretty accurate. And it's, non, it's a non-religious uh, source. So, you know, they, they don't say nice things about anybody. Especially Christians. Amen. Look in 1 Samuel 17, verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you, and this day... I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. You see, the enemies of Israel have always underestimated her. They have always misjudged her ability to defend herself. And Israel, when they win, are usually winning because they rely on the Lord. And it has long been established that the God of Israel is greater than the God of the Palestinians. And Palestinian is just a modern uh, interpretation of the word Philistine. might be interesting to just note that the West Bank, if you look at a map of Israel, the West Bank is a, is a pretty large area that, that uh, is on the West Bank of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea. And, and uh, on the east side of it is Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Jericho. All those cities are in that West Bank and that's where the majority, about 3 million Palestinians live. And that used to be a part of Jordan when it when when the the World War One divisions were drawn up. All of that was Jordan, but the people who lived in the West Bank were so unruly that King Hussein of Jordan decided he didn't want to rule over them anymore, and he just he just cut it off at the at the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, and he said, "Everything west of there, you're on your own." And that's when the people in the West Bank decided, well, we're going we're gonna to drive the Israelis out of here. We're going to take over all of this. And, 
And that's when you had the 1967 war in which uh, the Israelis not only regained, regained all of Jerusalem, but they, they regained the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and everything around it. And now they control it. And everybody, nobody can go in or out of the West Bank unless they go through Israeli checkpoints. The reason for that is uh, they were launching their attacks from the heights, the Golan Heights. They could look right down on Jerusalem. They could look right down on Israel, and they could just target all day long, you know, and, and target innocent civilians. And so when the Israelis took it back, they became, they became the controllers of that whole West Bank region. The Palestinians still live there. They still have an autonomous government, which is now Hamas. And Hamas, uh, in their charter, they have sworn to annihilate all the Jews. So how can Israel treat them with any respect or, or trust or in any way camaraderie if they are sworn to, they've sworn to kill them? And every time they've come to the peace tables, in, and Israel has agreed to let them have some land back, like Israel gave them control over the Gaza Strip and gave them control over the West Bank, and then, uh, you know, I mean, they were, they were willing to do that. They were willing to let them set up their own autonomous government and state and coexist with Israel. But Hamas said no. Hamas wouldn't sign the agreement because Hamas doesn't want to recognize Israel's right to be a nation. And so they're still intent upon killing them. Well, how do you make peace with an enemy whose only goal in life is to kill you? And they can say what they want about you know what Israelis done in their own defense, like you know bombing buildings where innocent civilians are. But they use those innocent civilians as human shields so that they can launch their attacks from those buildings, hospitals, and children's um, daycare centers, and things like that. And uh, and Israel to defend themselves, they have to level the building, and they and they warn them. Israel doesn't, it doesn't knock down a building until it warns the people in it to get out because missiles are coming. And then Hamas says, disregard them. Don't listen to them. They're lying to you. And keeps them there to die. And then they take their bodies out in the street and photograph them and put them on the news in the United States saying Israel is doing these horrendous atrocities when it's themselves doing it and blaming Israel for it. Would to God, Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona, and California would have the same tenacity to defend our borders. Yes. People would die. People would die until they get the message, if you cross that border, you're going to die. Then they'll stop crossing that border. But as long as we give them signals that we're not going to harm you, we're not going to touch you, we're going to give you money, we're going to give you a plane ticket, a bus ticket, to wherever you want to go, you can come on in with your bomb vest and all your plans to blow us up because the same people that invaded Israel a couple of weeks ago have invaded our borders and they have their sleeper agents all over the United States. Same people. And they're right here in River City. So, how do I know? Well, because... How many of you, how many of you know what I'm telling you is true? Okay, so I don't have to explain how I know. 
But I, I, I know because I'm a smart man. I know because they've reported that a lot of those people that have that have slipped across the border are from those countries, and they are they are military age men, young men, and and they come in uncontested, unmolested, and they and they go they go off to places where they're known to be. Uh, uh, what do they call them? Sanctuary cities, where they set up their little cell groups, and they and they tie into people that are already here, and they're just waiting for their go signal. And what happened in Israel can happen here, and we know that from 9/11. I mean, 9/11, 3,000 people died. Come on, don't tell me that can't happen again. Maybe not the same type of attack, but maybe you know. Maybe other. Why am I telling you this to cause you to fear? No, but I, I want you. I want you to. I want you to remember what God promises in Romans chapter eight. Look with me to Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, you can say, well, the whole world can be against us. Yeah, but that's not what it's. That's not what it's saying. What's he saying? If God is for you. Really and truly, who can stand against you? A lot of people will be against you, but who can stand against you? You know, there's a promise, no weapon formed against you will prosper. There are weapons being formed against us, but, but the Bible promises they, they will not prosper. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, things. People automatically, they think of material things. You know, cars, houses, land, prosperity, wealth. But how about life? How about protection? How about deliverance? How about when they... The bad guys get their go signal and they start going. Uh, the bombs they planted under our feet just won't go off. Who shall bring a charge <laughs> against God's elect? Maybe we can put a, 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 a twist on the word charge. You know. They could have their little bomb hooked up to a cell phone. And all they got to do is hit the dial number. And when that phone that's hooked to the bomb gets that call, it sends a charge that explodes the bomb. Well, maybe they try to bring a charge against us. And it's, it's a dud. God interrupts the signal. It is God who justifies. Who is He? Who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. What's Jesus doing right now? He's making intercession before the Almighty God on our behalf. So I'm not afraid of these terror cells. I'm not afraid of these plans of the wicked. I'm not afraid, of, and I'm going to use my brain. I'm going to be on alert, my head on a swivel. I'm not going to foolishly just go to places where everybody else is gathered. 
Like today at 3 o'clock, the Blue Angels are going to be flying over the beach. And I'm thinking about going down there to watch the Blue Angels fly over. But I would certainly pray about where to go and how long to be there and when to leave. Because it's a crowd. I don't like crowds anyway. I'll probably... One time we went, uh, we, we uh, parked our car in Target parking lot and just watched them fly over. Yeah. You guys that go to football games, you need to pray about going. Don't just go. Amen. Use wisdom. There were a lot of people who were supposed to have been, you know, in the, in the Twin Towers there in New York City on 9-11, but you know, they just felt like they shouldn't go today. One guy said, I, I just I just felt like I need to take the day off. A friend of ours was supposed to meet a couple friends of his in the restaurant at the top of one of those towers at 9 o'clock that morning. He woke up early in the morning and he, he all of a sudden he thought of his mother and dad in upstate New York and he just felt like he needed to go see them. Yeah. So he called his two friends. And he said, I'm sorry we made this appointment to have breakfast today, but, but I need to go see my parents. And they said, well, that's all right. We took the day off anyway, so we'll just sleep in. Yeah. So they slept in. He went up north. And the building came down. I've heard several stories like that. There were supposed to be, there could have been up to 50,000 people in those two towers. And only 3,000 died. So, can God protect you from the snare of the fowler? And the pestilence? And the, and the horror that flies by noonday? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he says? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? Now I know Paul told Timothy in the last days perilous times shall come. We're living in the last days. Perilous times have come. But are we to fear? Are we to be afraid of the sword? You see, the Muslims have taken territories historically at the point of a sword. They force people to become Muslim. You become a Muslim or you die. That's how they spread their kingdom throughout North Africa and, and, and around the Mediterranean. They did it by violence. They did it by threat of death. They did it to the point of a sword. Are we to fear the sword of, 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 of Islam? No. No. As it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Okay, let's just line up and let them slaughter us. No, he said, he said that's what's written. Yet, verse 37, yet, everybody say yet. yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's our promise. And it's good today. It's as good today as it was when it was uttered from His lips. Now, what about those people in Israel that were killed? 
What about those people in Israel that were taken hostages? Well, I'll just say this, it's never over till it's over. And with as much kindness and tenderness and sensitivity as I can, Israel still has not accepted the Lord Jesus as a whole. When they do, they're going to be surprised at the difference it's going to make. But we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when He became Lord, He became owner, keeper, protector, provider, deliverer, and everything else. And nothing can separate us from His active love in our lives. If we will follow Jesus' heart, if we will pray and obey, if we've got our ticket stamped and we're ready to go to, you know, a concert at the amphitheater at the beach and, and we're on our way down JTB to go to that concert. We're all excited about it. And the Spirit of the Lord says, don't go. Forget about how much you spent on those tickets and turn around and go home. Pray and obey. Amen. Listen to the Lord. We'd be better off if we'd practice that when we're pushing our shopping basket down Publix grocery aisle. I remember one time I was loading these two liter bottles of Coke into my basket. They had a, like a, you know, buy one, get one free type thing. You know, man, I'm, lo- I'm loading my basket up. And I heard this voice on the inside of me. I would rather you not do that. Who said that? Well, I knew who said that. So you know what I did? I picked them up. I set them back on the counter. And to this day, I don't buy two liters of anything. I don't buy two liter soda pops to take home and load my pantry up with. Now, I'll, I'll get those little bottles. Oh, yeah. You know, those little bottles, those two, well, I call them two swallow bottles. But I, since that day, I, I have not I have not bought two liter unless I'm going to a party or something and I take a, a two liter with me. But never to just take home and consume upon myself. Why? Because in the grocery store, I'm pushing my basket. I heard I would, I, I, I would rather you not do that. And you all know the obvious reasons why I shouldn't do that. It's kind of shameful that he had to tell me that. But hey, at least I heard and I obeyed. Amen? So are you ready? Are you ready to live under the umbrella of God's grace and follow his instructions so that you can survive whatever the enemy has planned for you? Amen? Because the David and Goliath saga continues. I do not hate Palestinians. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate Jordanians. You know, if the Midianites were still around, I don't hate them. But I do know that when God, when God gave the land to Israel, He allowed Israel to go in and possess it, even if it meant annihilating the Midianites and the Hittites and the Jerizzites and the Gibbites and all the Hittites and, and stalactites. He killed. They killed them all. Yeah. 
They 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 killed them or they allowed them to flee. People talk a lot about how we mistreated Native Americans when our ancestors came to this country, and how we got this uh, Western uh, uh, what do they call it the mandate manifest, manifest destiny to go west, and uh, and we you know uh, some missionaries went out and tried to evangelize. Uh, the native peoples and they had some success mostly failure and then they would go and displace these people and send them to other parts of the land and a lot of ugly stuff happened and I'm not excusing it I'm not excusing doing mean things to people but you've got to understand folks those people were heathens those people sacrificed many of them sacrificed their children to their gods those people were, uh, were uh, uh, worshiping false gods and into all kinds of witchcraft and sorcery, having drug-induced visions. Yeah. And our forefathers were not all doing, they were not all evangelists. Some of them were gold diggers and greedy and, and full of hate, just wanted to go grab the land, grab the gold. Their motives were not right either. But behind all of that was the, the covenant that was made by our forefathers on the Mayflower and at, at Plymouth Colony and other places that this land would be dedicated to Jesus Christ. And I think that's one reason why God, God's wind of grace and mercy blew behind these people and blew them all the way to the West Coast. And established one of the greatest missionary country, missionary sending countries in history, the greatest. There's ugly in there. There's those periods of slavery and slave plantations. But it isn't all black and white and and uh, and, and and simple to decipher. For the Kingsley plantation, for example, the Kingsleys were blacks from uh, Jamaica and Cuba. And they brought those slaves to that plantation. Black slave owners. If you go out, you go out to the Kingsley Plantation, take the tour, and you'll find out the people that were bringing slaves to Jacksonville were black people. Our white ancestors had nothing to do with that. So there's a lot of history, folks, that's been twisted and used against us to try to make us feel like we owe somebody something. Well, you know what? I was born in 1950. I haven't done anything to nobody. Amen. <laughs> Amen. When they integrated my high school, I moved over and let Elisha and Elijah Demerson, the twin twin brothers, sit next to me and became their friends. I'm their friends today. Not a, not a racial bone in my body. First person I ever led to the Lord was Jimmy Williams. I led him to the Lord on the city bus. We were sweeping it out together. And I led him to Jesus. He was a black kid. First person I ever personally won to the Lord. So I'm not a racially bigoted person. I'm not against Muslims as individuals and as people. But I am against that religion. Because it is satanic. And it butchers children and puts it on 
the internet and broadcast it all over the world and they rejoice and they're happy to be able to display this baby they butchered. Listen folks, there's something demonic about that. And how can we be for it? We can't be for it. Are the Jews perfect in everything they've done? No, they've been pretty ruthless, but you know, they've been scared. They've been intimidated and they've been threatened ever since they, they existed as a nation in 1948. And in beyond that, they're survivors of the Holocaust. And they're survivors of persecution in Russia. And these people have a history of people out to get them. Out to take their land. So I can understand why they might be a little jittery and why they might overreact if a thousand of them are suddenly killed in our concert. So, where are we in all this? We're on the Lord's side. We're on the Lord's side. And whatever God tells us, that we will do. Amen? Aren't you thankful the Lord offers His protection? Yeah, I, I thought about this when I, I got on an airplane, actually two airplanes, and flew out to Phoenix recently so that I could go with my son and my grandson and my friend to a football stadium with 60,000 people there to watch... Dallas Cowboys and Arizona Cardinals play football. As we're walking in, you know, all, you know, with our jerseys on, our caps on, we're walking in there, you know, we're all happy. Everybody's happy. Everybody says, you know, you know, go Cowboys. We didn't see very many Cardinals people. Go Cowboys. You know, we get into that stadium and it's full of people. And I'm thinking, did I pray about coming here? I think I did, but I was so excited about coming. I, I'm sure I heard the Lord say, yeah, you'll be fine. Go ahead. You know, it's real easy for us to just get into our old default mode of just going and just doing and, and just making our own plans and not thinking about any dangers at all. But today is a different day. We need to, we need to pray, trust, and obey. Amen. Even when we come to church like this, when that door opens after church has started, you know, we're aware of it. Yes, sir. I'm standing here, you know, and I, I, I hear the suction of air and and I can see a shadow, you know, and I'm, I'm preaching along. I, I'm aware that somebody's come in and I'm real relieved when Don Fleming turns the corner. Amen. Oh, it's, it's just Don. But how many of you know we watch? Our ushers, we watch for you. And we won't talk about how many in this room might be packing. But I just say if you hear if you hear a sudden pop, you hit the floor because you might be in a crossfire. The best position would be on the floor. Amen. You say, oh, that can never happen here. Well, I know a few churches that thought the same. Yeah. And they were in all kinds of strange places. Some of them are rural. Some of them are city. So, you know, you, you never know where the enemy is going to attack. But we pray. We prepare. And we practice awareness at all times. Don't just get in your car and go and drive. Listen for the Lord to say, why don't you take a different route today? Because we get into habits. We have our little ruts and our little rabbit trails. You need to find 
you, you need to know every route to your house and from your house. And you need to practice taking different routes. Don Norman in 19, I think it was 1975 or 76, was living in, in uh, uh, Rhodesia. They were having a civil war. And he's driving home uh, one day and the Lord says, don't go that way, go a different route. So he took a different route, took him a little bit longer. He gets home and, and, and a policeman pulls up in his driveway and said, Mr. Norman, said, uh, don't you usually come by such and such a route? And he said, yeah, but this time I just felt like I needed to come a different way. And the policeman says, it's a good thing you did because we caught some terrorists there. They had set up an ambushment and they confessed they were waiting for you. Cindy Norman used to go every Friday at noon downtown to get her hair done. Now she had a standing appointment to get her hair done at noon every Friday at this one salon. Well, one day she gets a call from the Salon saying, hey, we've had a, a, a slot open up at 10 o'clock. Would you come at 10 o'clock instead of noon? She said, I'd be happy to. So she went at 10 o'clock. She was there for about an hour and a half. She left at 1130. At 12, the salon blew up. A bomb blew up that salon. And she was the target. But God knew. You see, we don't have to fear those things. As long as we're in the Lord's care. Amen. But you've got to allow yourself to hear from God. You've got to allow yourself to be flexible. You've got to allow yourself to flow with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And He's covenanted with us to keep us and watch over us. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Well, let's have the communion elements uh, served to everybody and then we're going to we're going to take communion. Boy, communion means a lot to me more all the time. The more I think about it, the more I appreciate it. Amen. The more I take these elements and I meditate upon these things I've been talking about, I hope nobody here is afraid. I hope I didn't scare anybody. I hope I didn't put fear in you. I'm going to take the one right out of the middle. That was for that was made for me right there. Amen. Amen. The Lord said, "Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, nor be afraid." He also said, "The fearful and the unbelieving shall have their part in the lake of fire." God, God does not. He doesn't appreciate it when He makes all these promises for us, and then we. We're still afraid. I want you to understand the promises were made to you and your family. And you're safe in Him. Amen. Well, what if what if I get blown up? Well, what about that? What if you do get blown up? Your next step will be on golden streets. You can't lose with the stuff we use. Amen? But don't volunteer to get blown up. That's what I'm saying. If you get blown up, don't, don't be because you just wouldn't listen to God. You're stubborn, stubborn and stiff-necked and you just wouldn't listen to you know, God. 
Amen. Were there any Christians that were killed in that attack? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, people say they're Christians. Sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. But uh, uh, if they were Christians, then they're in heaven today. We pray for their families. We pray for the people that are left behind, that are scarred, that are hurt. We pray for the, the, the war to end. We want the war to end, but Jesus said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars until He comes. So we want we don't want it we don't want war come into our town, amen. So we pray we pray for peace. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we pray for the peace of the Lord's body all over the world. We have this covenant with God Almighty. God told Abraham that land is yours and your descendants. So all we can expect is for the borders of Israel to expand, expand, expand until they are from the Nile River to the Euphrates River. they got some growing to do. Well, that's going to take some doing. Amen? God didn't say when it would be completely fulfilled, but we know it's coming. Because God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with our, with us. It's a covenant of peace. It's a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of safety. Amen? He's our shepherd. We shall not want. Father, we thank You for the covenant. We thank You that it, Your body was broken. Your blood was shed. Not just for the remission of our sins, but to bring us into Your everlasting kingdom. With all the benefits, all the privileges, and all the responsibilities. Lord, we receive the body of the Lord Jesus and His stripes by which we are healed. Let's eat together. Lord, we receive the blood of the new covenant, which is the blood of Jesus. That this covenant we have with You is stronger than any deed than any legal document man has ever or will ever known. It is an everlasting covenant. It shall never be disannulled. It shall never be altered, changed, or in any way weakened. Because it is a covenant between God the Father and God the Son, sealed in the Son's own blood. And we receive it all today in Jesus' name. Let's drink together. Amen. 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 I'm covered in the blood. You're covered in the blood. The blood of Jesus is your divine protection. Amen. Satan can't go where the blood is. Amen. He can't rule where Jesus rules. And Jesus rules in my heart. Jesus rules in your heart. And we are the winners. We can't win without it. But we do win because of it. Can you say amen? Stand up with me. Lift your hands to the Lord and shout. Shout praises unto God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We shout to you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Amen. Clap your hands. Just clap your hands unto the Lord. Glory to God.